What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today, and it is a somewhat special edition of the show as well. It is the 200th episode that we have done here. It feels crazy to say it out loud, really. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody for all the downloads, all the kind reviews you guys have left on Spotify and Apple Music and wherever else, all the follows on Twitter, all the clicks on the articles, really just all the support over this past year. Uh, I truly couldn't have done it and kept going without you guys following along, so Thank you so much. It is really, really, truly appreciated. This is, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation, and I am your host, Joe Orico. Hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new content will be posted out from this offseason heading into next year. We've already started releasing some articles. Michael Fisher and Stephen Bagel have been hard at work on their series. Uh, Michael is currently working on an article that's going to talk about the different... Well, he already released one that was the first part here that was talking about the shift and the different rule changes for next year, the bigger bases, the pitch clock. His next edition of that particular series is going to be looking at players that will be affected by it. We were talking this morning about all the stuff he has in the works. Really excited for Michael's work. And Steven's series is just coming to an end now. You can find all of it at Ethos Fantasy BB. He's predicting rosters for opening day. Now, there have been a lot of moves throughout this last couple of weeks. I feel very bad because he put these pieces together, and then everybody started signing. And he did get quite a few things right. Mitch Hanniger, Jacob DeGrom, uh, he predicted quite a few things. Off the top of my head, those are the two that are coming to mind. But... It is a crapshoot predicting where free agents are going to go. And Steven did a fantastic job with great write-ups. You know, top of the lineup down to last guy in the rotation. Uh, it's really worthwhile checking out their work at Ethos Fantasy BB and at SportsEthos.com as well. Now, today we are going to do another starting pitching review. This is number five, I believe. And we are going to actually start off with something a little bit different, not strictly the starting pitching reviews because we have talked about this guy already. But, of course, this is the big news of the last day. Carlos Rodon is a New York Yankee, spoiling my good mood last night as I was about to go to bed. Now we have to face Carlos Rodon. We, as in Blue Jays, I am a Blue Jays homer. You guys know this already. We have to face Carlos Rodon for the next six years. Unfortunate, to say the least, because Rodon is absolutely filthy. These last couple of years, he has been incredible. We're going to touch on that before we get into our SP reviews. We're going to talk about four other pitchers today. But Carlos Rodon is the first one. First of all, like I said, disappointing, very sad seeing a pitcher of his caliber go to the American League East. Now, the fact that he's a lefty and the Blue Jays have a predominantly right-handed lineup doesn't kill me so much. Uh, you know, it's not like we have a bunch of lefties who are going to be you know, negatively impacted by having to face Rodon. The only lefty in our lineup is Kevin Kiermeyer at the moment. I mean, Christ, maybe Kevin Biggio gets some at-bats here and there. Uh, but it's our lineup is all righties, and I, I as much as I love Rodon, uh, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact. That particular aspect of the game there, uh, talking about my Blue Jays in particular, which I know you guys don't care about. In terms of Rodon's prowess as a pitcher, these last two seasons he has been among the absolute best of the best in baseball. His FIP this season was two twenty five, I believe it would the leader among all qualified pitchers. All of his pitching indicators. So let's start with the ERA. It was two eighty eight. And then 264 on the XERA, 225 FIP, 291 XFIP, and a 283 Sierra. Unbelievable to have all those indicators under three, plus give you what else, what the other stuff he gives you, which is a 33% strikeout rate. And he's also, you know, now that we're talking about it, he's going to be pitching for a better team than he has these last couple of seasons. The White Sox in 2021 were okay. They were pretty good. Uh, San Francisco this season, not the greatest team. But he still was able to pull 14 wins out of the hat. My worry 
with him is not really so much about what he's going to do when he's out there. It's about how much he's going to be out there. Uh, this was his first season, I believe. Um, maybe his second season. I think he qualified as a star, or as a as a league leader in 2016. But this is the only other time that he's actually done that this season. Uh, he has had quite a bit of injury trouble over the years. So a six-year contract, it could be a little bit risky. But as we've talked about um, throughout this offseason, you kind of had to pay up a little bit if you wanted to get certain free agents. And not even in terms of average annual value, in terms of the duration. In terms of the value, $27 million a year, that doesn't feel too bad at all. I mean, when I was growing up, just as a side note, and a lot of you guys will probably feel the same way. A lot of people would go for the higher average annual value you'd see. And of course, you know, money has changed over the years. What who is worth what kind of money, what kind of contracts are being given out. But I remember seeing a lot of, you know, four year, 80, five year, $100 million contracts. And, you know, players were going for shorter term and get that higher average annual value. Now it seems like players want to just have long term security that they are, in fact, going to be major league pitchers. Uh, Rodon signing until the age of 36. I think that's, you know, is he going to be this good until he's 36? It's hard to say. He's really hard to forecast year in and year out because he hadn't really done this until 2021, and that was not a full season. And then this year, uh, you know, he did it over a full season. But what are we going to see from him going forward year after year? I'm not really sure. Um, He's going to probably be in line for a couple more wins on the Yankees. You'd have to assume so anyway. Not that that's set in stone. And it's another thing we've talked about a lot this offseason is even though you're playing for a team that might win a lot of games. I mean, look at Jacob DeGrom, right? He's never gotten any run support, really, while he was in the New York. And he didn't win a hell of a lot of games ever. So it's not always the way it works. Good team, you know, good lineup around him for the most part, but never won a lot of games. It's not, you know, a one-to-one. Good team equals a lot of wins. But it certainly helps uh, Rodon going to the Yankees, and especially the fact that the Yankees and everybody else in baseball is going to be facing teams within their own division a bit less. 72 games down to 54, I believe. Maybe 74 to 50. No, I think it's 72 down to 54 division games. So he'll see less of the Blue Jays. He'll see less of the Rays. He'll see less of the Orioles and the Red Sox. Well, I, it doesn't really matter because the poor Red Sox. I'm sorry, Eric Cross, if you are listening. Red Sox are, are, are brutal, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another time. Uh, in terms of Rodon, though, I really, really like him. This move for me doesn't really change anything. I guess, you know, can you change him around one spot or two spots? Sure, I guess. But I think you're probably looking at roughly the same projections that you would have expected out in San Francisco. He's going as the 51st player off the board in these early drafts so far. I think that that's really reasonable price to pay for him, on, obvious, um, honestly. I know that we have uh, the injury risk, of course, but when you're getting him as the 20th pitcher off the board, and I think he's going about the 15th starting pitcher, that feels like a huge bargain. You know, yesterday we were talking about Zach Wheeler, how I'm not quite as certain about Zach Wheeler at that price, anyway, where he's going at pick 46. I think I would personally rather wait a few picks. Maybe, you know, it's probably not going to be a whole round worth. Right now it's 46 to 51, but who knows where the gap is going to go. Maybe Rodon goes up. Who knows? Uh, I would rather wait a few picks or just take Rodon in general at that spot over Wheeler. I know that there's a bit more injury risk, but you're getting more strikeouts out of Rodon. In general, I would feel more comfortable with him on my team. Now, not, not to say Wheeler is is not a good pitcher. Wheeler is a very good pitcher. Wheeler is a great pitcher. He also gives you strikeouts. But I think if I had to choose between the two of them, I, I would go with Rodon. And, you know, I just make that comparison because we were talking about Wheeler yesterday. I, I don't know. I feel like he is more 
more of a plain kind of pitcher. He's not as exciting as a guy like Rodon. And I feel like over the course of a season, assuming both are healthy, I would take Rodon in that case. So it's not like a huge gap. Wheeler is still really good. And it's not like he doesn't give you strikeouts. He still gives you strikeouts. But Rodon's numbers are typically a little bit more superior. So I will lean him there. I think that this is a really good signing for the Yankees, of course. I mean, he was the last elite starting pitcher who was available. And they had <clears throat> they had to go after him because, I mean, they didn't have to, but you know, to appease the fan base, to build that rotation out a little bit farther. It was already a very good rotation, but now we're looking at, you know, what is an elite rotation, if we're being totally honest. I hate to give the Yankees any praise, but it's it's an elite rotation. When you got Cole, Rodon, Severino, Nestor Cortez, and Frankie Montes rounding out the rear there. I mean, it's fantastic. It really is. I'm not a huge fan of the Yankees lineup as a whole. Judge, yes. Rizzo, sure. Stanton, sure. Other than that, eh, maybe Glaber. But it's, it's not looking great in the lineup as far as I see it. I know they scored a lot of runs last year, but that was a lot because of Aaron Judge. If you look at where everybody else was, not so great. Overall, for the Yankees, it's a good move. Uh, I hate it for my Blue Jays, but in terms of fantasy, I really like Carlos Rodon to the Yankees. I think it's a good move for him. Let's talk about a couple of other pitchers here. Going back into our SP review, which, I mean, we already talked about Rodon in a pod maybe a couple weeks ago, but, of course, you got to bring it up again because of the signing. Uh, everything is fre- or it's fresh in your mind, you know, the Rodon stuff. What is he going to be doing? So we talked about Rodon there. We are going to move on to our review of pitchers, and if you guys have missed the previous reviews, I've been going down the Yahoo rankings list of just going from the top to the bottom of starting pitchers, seeing who was the best working our way down the board. So if you see names, you know, this is the fifth show. There's going to be some names in here that you're going to think, okay, these guys are not really that elite. Maybe they should be pushed farther down. They were elite in 2022 for the most part, and we're going to be starting here with Logan Webb. Logan Webb give you a 15-9 and record, a 290 ERA. The thing that really bothered a lot of people from what I've seen and, you know, from what I witnessed this season was the lower strikeout rate. His strikeouts per nine went from 9.6 down to 7.6 as a percentage. That's 26.5 down to 20.7. Not great, but, I mean, if you look at the couple of seasons prior that he had, not full seasons, there are eight starts and 11 starts, 21 and 18% strikeout rate. Uh, If you go to the minors, he struck out some more batters, but he's never been like a crazy high strikeout guy. He's usually in the mid-20s. He's had seasons in the low 20s. So for me, that's not a huge concern, the strikeouts. If they're there, if they're not really there as much, obviously it's not great if there's fewer strikeouts. But his strikeout rate dropped this season, and he still had a lower ERA. Uh, FIP was just slightly higher. He had higher war. It's not going to impact him so much as a pitcher. Now, 15 wins, really great stuff, obviously. Hard to say how sticky that is year in and year out for a team like San Francisco. But San Francisco has gotten really good over these last you know week or so. Uh, I'm a lot more confident projecting them than I would have been previously, and he is listed as the ace currently, uh, Logan Webb. Cobb, Manaya, Stripling, and Wood behind him. They've added Correa. They've added Mitch Haniger. They're looking pretty strong. So that team that was, I believe, break-even last year, I think they were 81-81. and 81. Uh, Yeah, they were 81-81. and 81. They have a potential to be a 90-win team. No problem seeing Webb getting close to 15 wins again as the ace of that rotation. In terms of the Ks, maybe they come back, maybe they don't. But he has a fairly low walk rate, so you don't really care about it as much. You know, if he was if he was striking out 20% and walking 10%, then that would be a bit more of a problem. But he's only walking 6% batters. Uh, the K minus walk, 15, just about, it, it'll do. It'll do. And especially, you know, if you look at the indicators, his pitching indicators over the years, he does pretty much what you would expect him to do. Obviously, the first couple seasons... 
he was still getting his feet wet. Last two seasons have been really, really good for Logan Webb. Four-plus win seasons. Obviously, the wins have been coming there 26 in the last two years. I really like Logan Webb. And, you know, I got to pull up his, his ADP again because the page refresh. But I believe he's just after pick 100. He's not too expensive. Yeah, 109 this season. It doesn't seem very expensive to me. I think that feels honestly – it's not cheap or expensive. It's just about right in terms of starting pitchers. That's a good range. Like, we've talked about that ad nauseum at this point, about how many great pitchers are going in that range. You know, I'm not going to list them all over again because we've done it so many times. But at starting pitcher, I mean, pitcher overall 42, it's not, you can't separate by starters and relievers on the NFBC. He's in the 30s. Like, he's about 30-some-odd starting pitcher off the board. That feels like a really good bargain for me for Logan Webb. Uh, I'm going to have some shares for sure heading into draft season. Minimum and maximum pick. 68 to 133 I would not want him at 68 not at all but if he's fallen to you know 120 130 range and he will in some drafts I'll be very happy to take him there some people will be a little bit cautious because the strikeout rate's been lower not really something that I'm going to worry about with Logan Webb so draft with confidence here probably in round eight ish at round nine uh, probably your third or fourth starting pitcher I'm totally happy with it even if he's your second or third uh, I'd be totally fine with it Next guy we are going to talk about here, Drew Rasmussen. I've heard some people say Rasmussen, but I, I, I feel like it's Rasmussen. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm brutal with names. You guys know that if you listen to the show regularly. Let's talk about what Rasmussen did this season. He had 146 innings pitched. He went 11-7 and seven with a 284 ERA. Fairly okay. Just strikeout numbers. It's similar to what Logan Webb did, 21-5 and five for the strikeouts and walks, a 16.1 K-minus walk rate. His pitching indicators were a little bit higher than his ERA. The XERA was 346, the FIP was 326, the XFIP was 356, and his Sierra was at 374. I worry with him about projecting that much. I mean, his price is fairly reasonable. I believe he's going in the 170 range. Yeah, 173, the 71st pitcher off the board. The price is fairly reasonable. But we don't know at all what he is or will be uh, year after year. You know, one one season over 100 innings in his career so far. Granted, he is young, fairly young, 27. Uh, but if you look at his years in the minors, in 2019, it was about 72 innings. 2020, obviously, can't really hold that against him. Only 15 innings. Uh, 2021, it was 77 innings between the AAA and, and the bigs. And this year, 146. So, Will he go up drastically from that? I don't think so. Like, I think probably 160-ish is the most I would expect. Steamer projects 173. On the Rays, I'm not really sure we're going to see him get up quite that high. I don't think that he's somebody who is going to be going terribly deep in games because that's just not really what they do. I mean, he did occasionally hit seven innings. He had an eight and a third inning start this year. Uh, You know, two starts that went seven, and then there was one that was eight and a third. For the most part, you're getting four, five, six innings out of him. I don't really expect the volume to be there. And I'm a little bit cautious in general about the Rays, about the whole Rays are going to Ray thing, because they're really not that impressive of a team, and I feel like eventually it's going to come back and bite them. Like, Rasmussen's fine. He's a good pitcher. He has good control. But I don't know if year after year we're going to see guys like him continually do what they did him and Jeffrey Springs like are we going to see this every single year I mean until they stop doing it I guess we kind of just have to buy into it but I'm not really that big of a fan of him I think at the price you you're fine to take him there at 173 but at the same time I'm not like sold on him he doesn't have to be going there you get John Gray at 198 you know two three rounds later Brady Singer in the same range Edward Cabrera 
Um, you know, Patrick Sandoval even I think would be just about as interesting, if not more interesting. It might be a little expensive. Uh, I'm gonna curious about the minimum pick, 118. Well, I would be nowhere near him at 118. The max was 219. Uh, closer to the max, yeah, I would take him. And you know, anywhere I guess in this 175 to 200 range is probably okay. But you're not short of options in this range, and I don't think you need to be taking him. I think he's fine, but I don't think we're gonna see much better than what we saw this year. In fact. Almost a guarantee that he's going to regress a little bit. You know, 284 ERA, really impressive. He's done it the last two seasons, but this year was all as a starter. The year before, 10 starts, 25 appearances out of the pen. I'm just not really sure we can project another great season for him. I think it'll be fine, but don't be don't be reaching up your draft boards to, to be taking Drew Rasmussen. Next guy we're going to talk about, he was a hero for several of my teams this season, Miles Michaelis. Now, it wasn't quite as good down the stretch as what we saw Early on, uh, he did tail off a little bit. First half, well, more than a little bit, I guess. First half, he had a 2-5 ERA. Second half, it was a 4-4. But over the course of the season, uh, if you look at what he did overall, he gave you a 3.29 ERA. Not great strikeout numbers at all, 19%, but he was only walking 4.8%, so his whip was at 1.03. Uh, indicators were relatively high compared to his ERA. Not crazy, but you know, 3.29 ERA. He had a 389 XERA, 387 FIP, 380 XFIP, and his Sierra was 399. I think that this was probably about as good as we are ever going to see Michaelis. I mean, okay, 2018 was probably the best we're ever going to see from him, uh, but this was probably probably about as good as we're going to see him for the rest of his career. Uh, he won 12 games. He actually had a losing record, believe it or not, but he was really good for you, regardless of what he did down the stretch, specifically if you're in a Roto League. He, he did his job. Down the stretch in a head-to-head league, you may have not been quite as happy, but his last few starts of the season were really good. Honestly, all of it, and I'd forgotten about this one start until uh, really it was two starts that blew him up. But one in particular against Colorado in August. He gave up 10 earned runs in two and two-thirds. There was a start against Cincinnati in July where he gave up six earned runs in five innings. Those are the two starts that really ballooned that ERA. It would almost certainly be under three if it wasn't for that. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can really hold starts that are made at Coors and at Great American against him so much. Definitely, you know, it still happened. It's still a factor. It's still something you have to look at. But, you know, anybody can get blown up at Coors at Great American. That kind of thing will happen. I like Michaelis. I'm not sure that I'm going to be drafting too, too much of him this season. I mean, his price is pretty cheap at 246 over on uh, over in Draft Champions. I'm just not really sure we're going to see this at all again. You know, the control is good. The whip is good. But the strikeouts are are pretty bad. Like, they've always been pretty bad. This was his career-high strikeout rate at 19%. You know, it sounds like I'm probably talking about both sides of my mouth between him and Logan Webb because Logan Webb's at 20%, and I'm saying that's not a big deal. But that was something where, you know, Webb is playing for a team where he's going to get probably more wins, I would imagine, as the ace for San Francisco. Despite them not being as good of a team, I still think that he is probably more likely to win at least as many games as Michaelis. He's going to give you better ratios and a slightly higher strikeout rate. So for that, for me there, that is where I'm coming from. The strikeouts for Michaelis wouldn't be such a big deal, I guess, uh, if he was giving you like elite ratios year in and year out. He gave you a a good season this year, and he gave you a good season in 2018. But other than that, 
he's given you some really tough ones. You know, 2019 was his last time where we could look at a full season from him as a starter. Before this, it was a 416 ERA, 427 XFIP, or 427 FIP. He's overall pretty inconsistent year in and year out. And I'm not sure that I'm going to want to be taking him, especially in a draft champions where you're going to be stuck with him the entire year. You know, if you're talking about those gladiator formats, I don't know that I would necessarily, I think he's probably getting drafted in them, but I don't know that I'd want to have him as one of my starting pitchers for the entire year. And when you're talking about standard 10 and 12 team Yahoo leagues, I think he's very borderline like 10 teamers. I don't think that he is someone that you're going to probably need to be drafting in a 12 teamer. He's probably going to be in that last pick kind of range. Your last pick or last two picks, if he's still sitting there, I guess maybe you take a chance on him. But I don't really expect too much steamer. As much as I don't like steamer, I'm in line with them where they think here. They think he's going to go 11-11 and 11 with a 4-10 ERA. I think that's probably pretty close to accurate. Uh, the actual stuff there is pretty good, but it's not going to blow you away. And, you know, I'm, I think I'm okay drafting him here, but I'm not – thrilled I'm not jumping up at all if he falls a little bit I'd be a lot more interested as opposed to just taking him at cost so uh, you know not to poo-poo him because he's a very good pitcher he had a very good season but he's very inconsistent as well so uh, as a whole I think generally if I had to say one way or the other I'd have to be out on Michaelis for 2023 price is okay but I don't know that I'm going to be that interested one more pitcher we're going to talk about for today Luis Castillo now, he is somebody that I have had a very difficult relationship over the years playing fantasy, 2021 in particular. I drafted him in 2021 expecting great things. I thought that he was, you know, probable, likely, not maybe not probable, but I thought there was a very good chance that he was going to end up winning the Cy Young. Like, I thought that his stuff was incredible. I thought that it was going to be the year for him, and he was literally, like, flaming hot garbage for the first half of 2021. He was awful. I dropped him. I had him in a couple leagues, and I dropped him in all of them. Uh, he was terrible, and that kind of you know biased me a little bit against Castillo heading into this year. I wanted nothing to do with him, and he actually gave you a very, very good bounce-back season. And I know even last year, down the stretch, he was so good in the second half, after I dropped him, of course, that his ERA actually ended up under four, and the indicators were all under four as well. So I screwed up, I guess, is the best way to put it. Well, I mean, the Sierra was 403, but... Turned it around in the second half of the season. And, you know, I had a spite thing against him, the scorned lover, as Paul Spore has eloquently put it a few times on Sleeper in the Bust. I was a scorned lover when it comes to Luis Castillo. But this year, despite only pitching 150 innings, he gave you really great numbers. Eight wins on the lower side for sure. But a 299 ERA will play anywhere, a 108 whip, 27% strikeout rate, only walking 7% of batters. Luis Castillo's a stud. He is a stud. He's been a stud his whole career, despite a couple of hiccups along the line. It's going to happen when you pitch at Great American Ballpark for the majority of your career. Uh, it's you know nothing you can really do about it. Let me take a look, actually, for his career. Um, am I reading this right? That he has a lower ERA at home in his career than he does on the road? That's crazy. I would not have expected that. I'm very surprised. I was expecting it to be the complete other way. Uh, unless I am completely mistaken here, his home ERA for his career, 310. Away ERA, 415. That really surprises me. Um, wow. Shocked. Honestly shocked about that because there's not many players who you'd look at their splits at Coors or at Great American versus away, and they'd be better when they are there. Uh, very surprising. But Luis Castillo, for me, uh, I, I'm very confident in drafting him this season. His pick, his average pick, is 70. 
Minimum was 50, maximum was 86. I am very happy to draft him as a member of that Mariners team. I didn't like him as much or at all this year, really, in Cincinnati. But when you're talking about the team that they've put together over there, uh, I think it could be really, really good. Their rotation is going to be the same as it was last season, and it was elite last season already. And now, you know, these guys like Castillo, another year advanced, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, another year. Maybe Robbie Ray doesn't benefit from another year onwards, but everybody else should. Marco Gonzalez, no comment. You guys know how I feel about Marco Gonzalez. I think he's one of the worst pitchers for fantasy. Real life, he's serviceable. But, you know, their bullpen between Sewell, Munoz, Castillo, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Even Penn Murphy had a really good year this year. Maybe he will do it again next year. I'm not sure. They also added in Teoscar Hernandez. They added in Colton Wong. I really, really like Seattle. And taking Luis Castillo probably in round five, round six, as one of your first two or three pitchers for me, I'd be totally on board with it. I think that it is a really good decision. I think that his price is probably a little bit cheaper than it likely should be. I mean, 70 isn't isn't bad, but I would have thought that he'd be a little bit more expensive, honestly. I like this range. I really love this range of pitchers, and I guess that's the thought that I will leave you guys on here. And I've said it a million times. This is the range to draft your pitchers in, between about pick 60 and about 110. In that range, pitcher, 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 pitcher. There's no need to take batters at all in that range. That's my philosophy for this season. And, of course, I'm going to diversify a little bit. I don't want to be bogged down and have every single team have certain players on them. And, you know, every single draft I'm taking, you know, Gosman and then Valdez and then, you know, I'm taking Cortez later on. Like, you can't do it for every single draft. But for the most part, you know, if you're doing one draft and you're just trying to figure out the best one strategy, for me, it's absolutely go hitters early and then pound your pitchers here in the middle rounds, and not even the middle rounds necessarily, depending on how deep your league is, how many teams and whatnot. But once you start getting into round five, six, seven, eight, nine, I'm going pitchers. I am going pretty heavily pitchers, specifically in a 15-teamer. Guys, that is going to wrap it up for us for today. Again, thank you so much for helping me get the 200 episodes because I don't know if I would have been able to do it without your support if you guys had never listened to the show, if no one had ever followed on Twitter or anything like that. And it might have been a little bit harder to keep going, but you guys have supported me quite a bit throughout this season, and I will always appreciate that. You guys can show your love by leaving a review on the pod. Five stars would be ideal, of course. And follow us on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB. All of our work will be posted out from there. Guys, I hope you have a great weekend and enjoy all your drafts, all the sports that are going on. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you Monday.